There's times that it sucks to be the preacher. And when you got to follow that, that's rough. We're in the second week of a series, and we're talking about the craziness that we deal with every day. We're talking about the fact that there's this epidemic going on, and we become so comfortable in the discomfort of dealing with it that I don't even know that we realize we're dealing with it. Now, obviously, we're talking about the fact that whether we like to admit it or not, we live in a day and time where real live monsters exist. They might not look like they look in your favorite horror movie. They might not look like Hollywood makes them out to be. But the reality is we are surrounded by people who are genuinely monsters in their life. They work with us. We're related to them. Many times they're friends that we have known for years. Heck, and I don't want you to raise your hands on this, but the reality is some of you are married to them. Go out in public today, and you'll find out that a lot of people are raising them nowadays. Some of us live next door to monsters. And I don't know who they are in your life, but the reality is we are surrounded by monsters. And if we do not learn how to deal with the monsters in our life, they can literally devour us. They will rob us of our purpose. They will rob us of our joy. They will make this amazing gift that God has given us called life simply miserable. And what happens with a monster is they don't come out of nowhere. That's what always kills me about the horror movies. Monsters are some of the slowest moving things you've ever seen. There's nothing fast about Jason. He's never run a day in his life. But monsters are persistent. They'll wear you down. They'll exhaust you. And when you're at your weakest, that's when they will attack and they will destroy you if we don't learn how to deal with the monsters in our life. Last week, we talked about the fact that there's going to be critical monsters in our life. And we talked about how we deal with those critical monsters. Next week, we're going to talk about manipulative monsters. You know those people that just come along and they they just have that weird way of manipulating you into doing what they want you to do, even when you don't want to do it? They guilt you. They gaslight you. Then we're going to talk about the gossiping monsters, and I know we don't have any of those here at Action Church. I had to check and make sure I wasn't about to get struck down for lying. Gossiping monsters. That's probably, I'm going to be honest with you, at Action Church, the biggest monster that we deal with. The gossiping monsters out there. But today we're going to be dealing with the monster that in many ways I hate the most. Besides what we're going to talk about the last week when we talk about the monster that is us. We're going to be talking today about hypocritical monsters. Hypocritical monsters. Anyone who has dealt with vampires knows that vampires are a form of monsters and they hate light. They attack at night. 
Most monsters, that's weird. I've never seen a monster kick in the door at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They operate in the shadows. They love to operate in the dark. And so what we've got to do is you've got to bring darkness into light because here's the reality. Darkness can never overshine light. You can be in the darkest room possible, turn a flashlight on, and there'll be light. It can never be so dark that it drowns out the flashlight. It would drown out. Now, it might be so dark that the light doesn't shine far. There's always light. And we've got to take the darkness of those monsters and drag them in to the light. The Bible says this in John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we got to get real during this series and talk about how do we deal with the difficult people in our life. Because let me give you a newsflash, baby. People are difficult. It doesn't matter how good the people in your circle are, they're still difficult at one time or another. And the reality is so many times we don't get to choose the people that get the large majority of our time. You have no say in who your family is. Say amen. You have no say if you work for somebody else and who you work with. You have no say who's at the grocery store when you go to the grocery store. You have no say who comes into your job. You have no say who is around you at different times at different places. Though we keep our circle tight, the reality is there's people that have access to us like never before. Someone who said, I guard my social media. I know who's in and out. No, you don't. You might think you guard it, but even the best guarded social media has people who will infiltrate that social media. And the people that you think are great in your life sometimes can be the monsters in your life. And they will always expose themselves. So we have to learn how to deal with them. And this is one of those that, man, literally hurt the cause of Christ like few other monsters. How many of you say, Gary, I know a Christian... Back that up. I know someone who calls themselves a Christian, but man, they're hypocritical. Yeah, I know. I mean, we all know that person. And the reality is that one time or other, we look ourselves in the mirror and that person's looking back at us. How many of you? No, I'm not going to ask that. I'm not, I'll ask you, but don't raise your hand. How many of you are sitting next to that person today? The number one criticism that I hear from non-Christians about Christians is they'll often say, oh, Christians, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. They're all just a bunch of hypocrites. I had an event Friday night, and I was talking to a guy, and I've talked to this guy often, and he knows I'm a pastor, and he was asking some questions about the church, and I finally said, man, you ought to just come check it out one Sunday morning. And if you know anything about me, I rarely do that. I've never been one that wants to shove church down someone's throat. I don't want to shove Jesus down someone's throat, but he was asking the questions. And he said, man, I'd love to come check it out, but I don't deal with hypocrites very well. And I said, well, we always got room for one more. You ought to come check it out. And he kind of laughed, and he said, man, that's true, that's true. The reality is, as much as we love to talk about hypocrites, and the hypocritical behavior we see in other people, there's a little bit of hypocrite in all of us. 
Now, maybe you weren't raised around the term hypocrite, and you don't really understand what I'm talking about when I talk about hypocritical people. So I want to take that word, and I kind of want to break it down for you in its original language, because it's actually a very powerful word. It's a word in the New Testament that Jesus used many times, and it has its root in the word. It literally means, check this out, it means an actor. It means, at its root, a stage player. Because you understand, the English language is a very limiting language. So you hear the word hypocrite, we know what the word hypocrite means, but I don't know that we know the descriptiveness of that word. It literally means a person behind a mask. It's the word they would use to describe the Greek actors back in the day that were in a Greek play. You would see them, and they would walk out on stage, and they would put a mask over their face, and they might have a smiley face. And they would take the mask off, go back, and they'd come back out and put a mask over their face, and they might have an angry face. It was people playing a role. It's not, the mask was not the real thing, but they were playing a role to make you believe that. That's what a hypocrite is. The role they're playing oftentimes is, man, I'm super Christian, but behind the mask, they're anything but. Jesus said this in Matthew 15, he said, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. He said, these people honor me with their lips. They talk the talk, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, but their teachings are merely human rules. He said, you hypocrites, you actors, you people that hide behind the mask. He's talking to the religious of the day. He said, really what you're doing is just giving me lip service. You're acting like you have it all together. You're acting like everything is perfect. But really all you're doing is talking a talk. Because behind the scenes, everyone knows you're not walking the walk. You talk a good game. But your life doesn't reflect the talking that you talk about. Social media is the queen of this. You ever notice that everybody's life is perfect on social media? Everybody's marriage is perfect. Their job is great. Their finances are great. They post the best parts of their life. And then not only in our status updates, but in our pictures, man, we're hypocrites. Got the upward shot, look skinny. You know what I'm talking about. I had someone at football practice come up to me recently at Luke's football practice. They started talking to me. And I'm talking to the lady. She's talking back to me. And it's obvious she knows things about my life. She's asking about things I've got going on and this. It's things I post on social media. And so I'm thinking to myself, I've never seen this lady in my life. Who is she? So i got to get the conversation around to somehow figure out what her name is. So somebody walks up in the middle of our conversation. So I do the introduction where I don't know either one of them's names. Hey, have you guys met? They share the names. 
I made a mental note of the name. Got on Facebook, typed in the name. Profile pops up. And I'm like, oh, that was that lady? I had no idea that was that lady from the picture she posted compared to what she looked like in real life. I'm not even trying to be funny. I know we say all the time. I literally, if you would have given me a hundred guesses who she was, I would have never guessed it was that lady. Living that fake life, that hypocritical life, that life where we want people to see one side of us even though our actions don't dictate that. Hypocrites, the number one reason people don't attend church. Back that up. The number one excuse people give for not going to church. Because hypocrites don't stop you from going to the bar. Hypocrites don't stop you from going to work. Hypocrites don't stop you from being part of what interests you. Life is full of hypocrites. People who say one thing and do another. We've got to learn how to deal with those monsters. Because the reality is, is fake people will literally suck the life out of you. I don't know why it is, but fake people will get you to the point in your life where you become jaded towards whatever it is you're interested in because of those people. I remember I was the pastor at my previous church one time, and a guy pulled out in front of me in traffic, and I got a little mad. And I chased the guy down Riverstone. And I got up next to him, and I'm slinging my arms up. I'm doing the hand motion like, hey, you freaking idiot, you pulled out in front of me. I might have said some cuss words. I was furious. Light turns green, I drive off, and the next Sunday I'm preaching, and I preach on anger. After the service, a guy comes up to me, hey, pastor, I just wanted to apologize for pulling out in front of you the other day. <laughs> and I felt about that big. About that big. I'll never forget when I lost everything. About two years later, I'm walking through the grocery store, and I see a guy who went to my previous church. It's the first time I'd seen him in two years. And I nod at him. And then Ingles. Don't nod your head at me. I said, oh, here we go. And I said, man, I'm sorry. Is there a problem? Literally, Ingles, he says, F you. And I'm trying to be cool in Ingles. I don't want to call a scene next to the fried chicken. And then he said something that stopped me dead in my tracks. And convicted me like I very rarely have ever been convicted. He said, I went to your church for four years and listened to you talk about how to live life right and how to have a good marriage and how to do this and how to be that and how to be this. And I would have to come home and listen to my wife talk about, don't you remember what Gary said on Sunday? Why do you go to church if you're not going to listen to me? And he goes, and you were living the life of an effing, he didn't say effing, no, he said the word fake. And when he said it, I don't know if you've ever been in those situations. I couldn't argue. I couldn't get mad. There was nothing to defend myself on. And he threw that last thing. He goes, 
I'll never go to church again because of hypocrites like you. I looked at him and said, man, I'm so sorry. And I turned around and walked away. And if you know anything about me, for me to say I'm sorry is a big thing. I don't need anything. I don't need lip service down here. For me not to have the last word, (laughs) zip it, is a big thing. For me not to get angry is a big thing. But when he said it, man, you ever been in a situation where you'd rather somebody literally physically whoops your tail than spit that truth they just spit at you? I walked away, and all of you can blame him for how I am today because I swore I'd never be fake on this stage again. I swore that what you saw on Sunday would be what you saw every other day of the week, and you might not like it on Sunday But you won't like it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday either because it's going to be me. A hypocrite. I would have been rather been called anything in the world than that because I was the guy who got up and said, I hate hypocrites. And yet here I was, king of the hypocrite. (laughs) Reality is, unknowingly, probably not intentionally, But so many times we say one thing and then basically give God the middle finger with our actions and doing another thing. Whatever you're at, you're going to come across hypocrites. It it might be the guy at work who's all Christian talk and he goes on and on and on about the church on Sunday. But you know he's stealing from the company. It could be the kid at school, you know, the super spiritual kid at school. And he's been cheating on tests and partying, yet he's judging you for doing the same thing. It, it could be that lady who talks about everybody, but she disguises it as she's a prayer warrior. You know that one? Pray for Tammy. You know what she's been doing? I mean, I'm not one to talk about it, but you know, we're praying over her, and how can you pray if you don't know? Pray for Pastor Gary. I saw him at the crack house the other day. God forbid I was pulling somebody out of the crack house. You know, I was there doing crack. I never forget I moved to Iowa when I was 21 years old and I started a church. Ames, Iowa. Small college town. And the church I was the pastor of grew pretty quickly, especially by Iowa standards. And I was different you know, I'm from the South. They were a very formal church, and you had this country redneck in this Midwestern town. And so the church started growing, and I got a TV show, <laughs> preaching show. Yeah, I know. Vision in the Heartland with Gary Lamb. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. I get it. TV evangelist at 22. And then all of a sudden, one day, because, you know, school, you think the newspaper's bad, get a, a liberal college paper. And it was like, driving down the road the other day and saw the pastor of Heartland Church and TV host of Vision in the Heartland. 
He was driving down the road with a woman that wasn't his wife. Now, what he didn't say was, is that for the first time in two and a half years, my sister had come to visit me. And I was driving around with my sister. But boy, it was the talk of the town. Gossiping. What a hypocrite he is. Instead of going to the source. You know those people that come into church on Sunday. How you doing, man? I'm blessed and highly favored. Praise the Lord. It's great. And they know good and well they've almost killed their kids before church. And the wife and them fought the whole way to church. But the minute you made that turn into the parking lot, it was... Praise Jesus. So the question becomes, how do we deal with those monsters? Because here's the reality about hypocrites. They're going nowhere. You can't avoid hypocritical monsters. You can't go around hypocritical monsters. I think you would be hard-pressed to find anybody in their life who keeps their circle tighter than Christine and I do. And we can't avoid hypocritical monsters. They're everywhere. We live in a day and time where you can't kill hypocritical monsters. It's frowned upon. So you have to deal with them. You have to learn to function with them. If you're going to get through life without these, these monsters literally spiritually devouring you or emotionally devouring you or relationally devouring you, you've got to learn how to deal with the hypocrites. So the question becomes, how do we deal with them? And the question becomes this, what is our role as a Christian in dealing with Christians who are hypocrites? It's a good question. And the question becomes not only how do we deal with them, the question becomes do we have a role in dealing with them? Is it our business when we see brothers and sisters in Christ going down the wrong path and being hypocrites? Is it our circus? Is it our monkeys? How do we get involved and should we get involved in these people's lives? And like anything, man, there's two extremes that the church takes. A lot of churches take what I like to call the hippie approach. The hippie approach. I'm not going to do anything about what they do. Not my business. Not my circus. Not my monkeys. This is becoming a more mindset today because we live in the day and time of tolerance. We live in the day and time where anything is acceptable. Judge not, judge not, unless you be judged. It's none of my business. As long as it makes you happy, do whatever you want. I'm not going to get involved in peace, love, and happiness. The problem becomes is when you have this approach, there's no accountability. There's no iron sharpens iron when it comes to someone else's life. There's no helping another Christian overcome their sin. And I think this is a very wrong extreme. Now, there's the other extreme because, man, again, there's very rarely balance 
when it comes to the church. Just being honest. The church is the king of extreme, one extreme or the other. So if we don't have the hippie approach, what we tend to have is what I like to call the hitman approach. The hitman approach. Hyper-confrontational. Inwardly judgmental. Confront everything and anything, no matter how small it is. But here's the key to this one. Confront them and do it without any love. Hippie approach is all love and no confrontation. The hitman approach is all confrontation and no love. I see this all over Facebook. The hitman approach. I'm going to come in and I'm going to blast you for your lifestyle. I'm going to blast you for your choices. And I'm going to feel better about myself because I bullied you with the truth, even though I didn't make you aware that what you're doing was wrong in a loving way. I brought about no change because of my approach. I've had to learn this over the years. It's not what I say. Maybe I even had to learn this lesson last night as my wife and I were in the basement and she was telling me these things loudly where the neighbors could hear and where the dogs were cowering because maybe I was being very hitman approach. I was wanting to confront somebody that I had no business confronting, though I felt justified in confronting, and even if I had a reason to confront, I sure as hell wasn't going to do it with love. This is our approach sometimes. Breathing down someone else's throat and telling them what they're doing is right and wrong. So what we need to understand is, is the hippie approach is not biblical. All love and no confrontation leads not to change. All confrontation and no love leads to no change. We've got to take that balanced approach. Now, let me be very clear on something here that's going to shock some of you. We have a responsibility as Christ followers to keep other Christ followers accountable. The Bible makes that clear. Get ready for this, though. As Christ followers, if you're dealing with non-Christians, you have no right to confront them about their actions. The Bible never gives us permission to do that. Matter of fact, I always find it funny when we go to non-Christians and we lecture them about not living their life as Christians. They're non-Christians. Why would they live their life in a way that honors Christ when they have no relationship with Christ? They're not held to the same standard. When it comes to the non-Christian, our goal should be this, to win them to Jesus by whatever means necessary. To love them, to be there for them, to make sure that they get into a place where they can have that experience where they meet Christ. Once they meet Christ, we then have a responsibility. It's an amazing concept that you hear very little about in church. Anymore. We have a responsibility to disciple them. The Bible says they were saved, they were added to the church, and they devoted themselves to the teaching of God in Acts chapter 2. The problem is we want to confront non-Christians 
for not living like Christians. That would be like a Muslim confronting me for not living like a Muslim. I'm not going to live like a Muslim. I'm not a Muslim. I'm not going to live my life like a Buddhist. I'm not a Buddhist. But we do have a responsibility when it's Christian to Christian. The Bible is full of examples where a Christian brother will confront another Christian brother lovingly and with truth and bring them back to God. We live in a day and time where people love to talk about brotherhood. It's why motorcycle clubs are so popular. The illusion of brotherhood. It's why fraternities are so popular. The illusion of brotherhood. It's why these secret groups that everybody have are so popular. It's why clubs are so popular. The illusion of brotherhood. The connection of brotherhood. But there's no brotherhood there. But when you're united around the blood of Christ and what Christ has done for you, we become brothers and we become sisters. You might not like it, but we become a family. We become the body of Christ. We are one. Some of you are the hands. Some of you are the feet. Some of you are the ears. Some of you are the mouth. We're going to get to that in a couple of weeks, the gossip. Some of you are the ears, the neck, the head, the hair. Some of you are that. A lot of, we got a lot of those around here. We're one. And the right hand can't function like it should without the left hand. We have a responsibility to help each other grow. We have a responsibility to say the last 10% that needs to be said. You say, what's the last 10%? Here's what it says. Studies show that we say 90% of what needs to be said to our spouse, to our kids, to our friends. But the last 10% is the truth that we don't want to say because it might ruin the relationship. We're scared to say the last 10%, and therefore no one gets better. You operate scared. You operate afraid. You're scared to speak truth. And let me make this very clear to you. Sometimes truth is painful. My wife and I went through a period of time in our marriage where we kept things from each other. Not huge things. Small things. Stupid things that we just thought would get the other one mad. Like, hey, I went and bought a new truck today. Didn't tell you. Surprise! You know, little things. Until they led to big things. And then we decided about two years ago that we didn't care if it made the other person mad. That if a 30-minute fight ensued because of it, speaking the truth to each other was worth it. Because no one should have to walk on eggshells. She can't get better if I don't speak truth to her. I can't get better if she doesn't speak truth to me. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's painful. Growth is painful. That's why they call it growing pains. If you're in a relationship where you can't speak truth to the other person, you're probably in the wrong relationship. And if you're in a relationship where your partner can't speak truth to you, you ought to evaluate your life and realize why you're so insecure that you can't handle the truth from the other person. Mm -hmm. 
one amen on that. You know why? Because it hurts. The problem with so many people is they don't listen to understand. They listen to respond. If the person you're with loves you and you love them, they wouldn't be saying stuff to you just to hurt you. They'd be saying stuff to you to help you, but you're too damn prideful and egotistical to hit it. And you know how I know this? Because, man, I am Gary Lamb, and I was the king of this. And still can be. I'm better at it. But it takes me a while. Took me, I've got it down from now. It used to be all night, correct? It used to be all week. I can go all week without talking to you. Then I got it down to where it was about a night. Last night, I realized in about 10 minutes. 10 minutes of her screaming, throwing things, pulling out a gun. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. When the gun, I said, hey, I'm done. I'm good. I believe not. Took about 10 minutes. The goal is to get down to maybe receiving it immediately. It's the goal. We all have goals. No one's perfect. I'm not Jesus. But we have a responsibility to confront You see it in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God would raise up prophets. The prophets would speak on on behalf of God, and they would say, here's what we see and here's what we don't see. Here's what you need to change. In the New Testament, though, it's everywhere too. In Galatians 2, you can read about Paul. Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. In Galatians 2, Paul confronts Peter. Peter was the right-hand man of Jesus. But Paul saw Peter doing things that was wrong. He was being a hypocrite. He would eat with the uncircumcised until those that were circumcised would come along and then he'd have nothing to do with the uncircumcised because he was worried about what the circumcised would think of him. He was a hypocrite. I'm glad y'all find that so immature. Go back and study out the Bible. That was the way they fed a difference between the people. So Paul confronts Peter. So two of the big shots confront each other. We'd be afraid to do that nowadays. Well, they might get mad at me. They might get their feelings hurt. You think Paul gave a rip if Peter got his feelings hurt? Paul looked at Peter and realized Peter was hurting the cause of Christ and knew he had a responsibility to speak truth into his life. Matthew chapter 6, you can watch Jesus three times call out hypocrisy. He said, when you pray, don't pray to be heard. Don't pray with all your fancy words to impress people. That's hypocrisy. He he said, when you give, don't give where everyone knows you're giving. That's hypocrisy. He said, when you fast, don't walk around and tell everyone you're fasting. That's hypocrisy. He said, just do the deeds. Live out the life. Over and over and over, we see that we have a responsibility to confront our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Here's the problem with so many, and I am going to say, us, you. I'm not here today to be your friend. There's times I like to laugh and cut up and be your friend. There's times I'm supposed to speak, speak truth to you. And if you don't want speech, I can't even talk today. If you don't want truth spoke to you, there's plenty of other churches that will tickle your feet out there. We have a responsibility. As brothers and sisters, to call each other out when we see one doing wrong. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. I don't understand the Bible. It's so complicated. It doesn't get any simpler than that. 
you just don't like this part of the Bible. And you know what I learned a long time ago? One of the reasons we don't call out other people is that we don't want them calling out us. If I stay out of their business, they'll stay out of mine. No growth comes from that. Growth comes from being in such a strong relationship that I can say, man, I love you. But you're screwing up here, here, and here. Man, I care about you so much, I'm not coming to you out of anger. I'm not coming to you out of frustration. I'm not coming out of coming to you to make you feel guilty. I'm not coming at you to make you feel bad. I'm coming at you because I want you to live the life God created you for. I want you to discover his purpose and live your best life here on earth. I have often wondered how my life would be different. Make no mistake about it, I love my life and I don't want my life to be different. So don't read into that too much. But when I imploded at 33 years old, for five years, I had a group of people around me. And I often have wondered what would happen if any of those people at any time in their life would have pulled me off to the side and said, hey, enough is enough. You say, you wouldn't have listened. Maybe, you're probably right. I don't know. That's the problem, we'll never know. But by no confrontation happening, it allowed the ego and the pride and the arrogance to grow and grow and grow and grow. And eventually your sin will grow to the point that you implode. We have a responsibility. We're brothers and we're sisters. We're a family. Not my business. No, 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 no. The minute you accepted Christ, you got into the family of God, it became your business. It's your business to confront me. I've had people confront me here. On more than one occasion, Doug Knight has called me. I said, hey, I want to clarify some things. What do you want to clarify? Well, I heard this, this, and this. Okay? Well, let me explain this, this, and this. Thank you, you confronted me. On more than one occasion, I've said it for years, have I not? Tom Hunt has called me. Heard some things. What do you heard, Tom? Well, I heard this, 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 and this. Yes, some of that's true, Tom. Some of that's not true. Yeah, Tom, that's true, and I probably didn't handle that situation right. Thank you for calling me. No problem. But then I've had people who went to this church forever who leave the church mad. I hear down the road why they're mad, and I'm thinking, why did they never come to me about that? Well, it wasn't our business. No, no, it was your business. You broke fellowship with a family. You might have left the place God wanted you to be because you're not willing to confront hypocrisy. My name is Gary Lamb. I am the king of hypocrisy. I am the king of saying one thing, and though my intention are to do it, I don't always do it. King of it. So we've got to learn how to confront because we have a responsibility to confront. The first thing we got to do is we've got to confront and we've got to pray because you've got to pray some things before you confront. And here's the first thing you've got to pray. God, help me confront with the goal of restoration. This is vital. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you, live, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person 
gently. We make this very clear. The reason we confront is not to scold. The reason we confront is not to put ourselves on a pedestal that we're better than them. The reason we confront is not to make them feel bad. The reason we confront is not because they even hurt us. We confront to restore. The problem with so many of us is we confront people. We don't care about restoring. Don't miss this. We simply care about being right. The goal in confronting is restoration. Your goal is to come to them in such a way, in such a gentle way, in such a loving way, that you bring them back to Christ. You do it to restore. We do it because we want to see them back where they should be. We want to see them receiving all the blessings of their life. I've had people come to me and confront me about things. About my actions. And when they come to me with the goal of restoring, I can always tell the difference. From that and when they had the goal of being right. When they want to be right... My pride swells up and I want to be right. When they come to me to restore me, I don't know, it's just different. You can feel it in your soul and you want to pray about it. (laughs) When someone comes to me and they see the errors in my way and they know the errors in my way are going to lead to a path of destruction, why would I fight against that? They only want what's best for me. There's a right way to confront and a wrong way to confront. There's a helpful way to confront, and there's a hurtful way to confront. We've got to confront with the goal of restoration. I have a good friend about a year ago was going to leave his wife for another woman. He called me. I can always tell when they call me, because I always have questions. And it's always a friend. Hey, I got a friend who's thinking about leaving his wife. Ma'am, when you fell apart, how'd that affect your kids? I said, well, are you the friend? How'd you know? Because I'm a stupid. Now, I love this guy's wife. And my flesh wanted to rip him to shreds. My flesh wanted to say, do you realize what you're about to do? But I listened. And I listened. And I listened. And I told him over and over and over because I wanted him to, to, to know no matter what you decide, I love you. No matter what you decide, I'm going to be your friend. No matter what you decide, I'm going to walk with you down that journey. I even went so far, I said, if you leave your wife for this other woman, you decide to marry this other woman one day, I will do your wedding. But then I said, but you're making a huge mistake. I said, you don't know this other woman. 
what you know of this other woman seems great and seems fun because it's always great when you're sneaking around having sex. But I said, guess what? I'm not saying anything bad about this woman, but she's got imperfections just like your wife does. They might be different imperfections, but she's got them. And I said, she don't know you. She don't know that you leave the toilet seat up. You don't, she don't know that you leave your dirty underwear laying around. She don't know what you look like when you wake up in the morning and your breath smells horrible. She don't know about your temper yet because she ain't been around you long enough. And I said, I'm always going to err on the side of marriage. I said, so if you're calling me for permission to leave your wife, you're not going to get that. He said, thank you. And he hung up. Seven days later, he called me and said, I need to thank you for that phone call the other day. I said, well, I didn't really give you any groundbreaking advice. He said, no, you didn't, but you didn't judge me. You called out my BS. And he goes, I just want you to know I ended it with that lady and I'm making my marriage work. You know why? Because I confronted with the goal of restoration. I didn't want to beat him up. I've been where he's been. I didn't want to make him feel bad. Because here's the reality. He already felt bad. He might not even realize he felt bad, but he felt bad. I wanted to restore him. He was a pastor. I didn't expose him to his church. It's not my place. I confronted him with the goal of restoring him. And I walked him through that process over the next several months. And I, him and his wife have a good, they have a solid marriage now. They're rebuilding their marriage now. And he's still pastoring that church. Why? Because the goal was to restore him, not hurt him. James 5 says this, brothers and sisters. Notice how it keeps going back to that every time it talks about hypocrisy, it talks about brothers and sisters. That's what we are. Those of you who are mad at me right now because I scolded you a little bit earlier, you're steaming back. I'm so mad. He didn't tell me. I don't even know what was going on. I can, I can feel the heat coming from you right now. Guess what, suckers? We're brothers and sisters. I ain't going nowhere, and you ain't going nowhere, so you're going to pout for a day, and I'm going to pout for a day, and I'm going to see you next Sunday. We're going to hug each other's neck, and I'm still going to love you. Every time it goes back to my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wonder from the truth, and someone would bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Hypocritical monsters will destroy you. But when we bring them back, when we go with the goal of restoring, we keep them from going down that path of destruction. And then not only do we keep them from that destruction, we keep them from from passing that path of destruction down to their kids because there's generational sins everywhere. You save a multitude of sins. The goal is to restore. Always. We've always been the church, for whatever reason. Well, I know why. We've always been the church, that, and you don't even know it half the time, that pastors will walk in the back door. I would venture to say probably five to seven times a year you have a pastor sitting in the church service and you don't even know it. But you know why they're sitting in the church service here? Because they screwed up. They lost their church, and they know they have nowhere else to go except here. And they'll walk in... And I can always tell them because normally they're wearing Dockers and a polo shirt. They don't really fit in here. They're dressed up. I dressed up here. Like, hey, how you doing? I'm Gary. Hey, I'm so-and-so. I, I, 
I used to be the pastor over at so-and-so. I said, did you now? Yeah, so-and-so told me I should come here. I said, okay, welcome. And I always tell them this. I say, hey, man, I don't know all the details. Every time, every one of them will tell you I say this. I don't know all the details, but I want you to know something. God's not done with you, but you got to get it figured out. God's not done with you, but you got to get it figured out. You know why that's so important to me? Because when I lost everything, my mentor pastor looked at me and said, God is done with you. He said, God will never use you again. I thought to myself, good God, I'm 33 years old. I screwed up and I can never be used by God again. It crushed me. I always want to know God will see because my goal is to restore them. That doesn't mean I don't speak truth to them. It doesn't mean I don't tell them they're idiots. It doesn't mean I don't cuss them out. But God, help me confront with the goal of restoration. The second prayer we're going to pray before we confront people. God, help me confront with caution. Can I be honest with you? I do a really good job of confronting with the goal of restoration. I do a really, really bad job at confronting with the goal of caution. We need to confront people. But you have to be very careful in how you do it. Galatians 6.1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may be also tempted. That's key right there. As you're helping other people, it can be a trigger for you. Because so many times we're helping people in the area that we struggled in. Our mess always becomes our greatest ministry. You're an alcoholic. You've been in recovery for years. Chances are real good. A lot of your ministry is helping other alcoholics. It's amazing. But you've got to guard your heart in that situation. Because there can be something that triggers it for you. So we've got to be careful. We've got to approach with caution how we do that. Because in our approach to them, it can trigger it. So it says, 1 Corinthians 10. So, it says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. See, when we, when we go to confront, we need to make sure our walk is solid. We need to make sure that we have accountability in our life as we're confronting. Because as we're confronting, our mess becomes our ministry. Our ministry can go right back to being our mess. Don't miss that. You're vulnerable when you're confronting them. And I think here's why you're vulnerable. Because you're vulnerable to the, to the sin of pride. You're confronting them in an area that you have victory over. And because you have victory over it, you can be prideful. You feel like you're right, and when you feel like you're right, the flesh can take over sometimes. When you're confronting someone else, suddenly you're in the role of the godly one. You're telling them what's wrong. And if you're careful, your confronting can become prideful to you, and pride comes before a fall. I can be very prideful in my confronting. Last night, what led to the discussion, discussion, was I wanted to confront someone. Christine did not think it was a time or place for me to confront them. 
I got arrogant. That's what I do. That's what I, that's what I do. He's not going to listen to you. I said, he'll listen to me. I tried to confront him. I said, he didn't listen to you. <laughs> he didn't listen to you because you're a woman. That did not go over good. But I was right because she was trying to confront a man, a boy. I said, he'll listen to me. Here's the deal. She didn't have a problem that I wanted to confront him. She had a problem with the timing of me wanting to confront him. Mm. When she told me it wasn't the right time, guess what happened? My pride swells up. I had this tendency to say, I'm Gary freaking Lamb. I know you find that shocking because I seem so humble. And I'm going to confront him. I became prideful. I looked at her and I said, I can confront him. That's exactly what I said, is not? I said, I can confront him. I used to be him. He'll listen to me. Now, I wasn't wrong for wanting to confront him. But I got prideful in wanting to confront him. I put myself up on a pedestal wanting to confront him. I thought I was better than him wanting to confront him. Here's the deal. If you feel passionate enough about a sin in someone's life to confront it, there's a reason you feel passionate about that sin. Maybe it's your weakness. Maybe you've been impacted by it. But you've got to be guarded. You've got to use caution when confronting. Because pride will kill you. Confronting for the wrong reasons will destroy you. Confronting people will open yourself up to an attack from the enemy. That's how the enemy works. Because here's what happens. I'm so busy confronting you that I'm no longer guarding me. By confronting you, I'm opening my mind up to the sin that you're involved. I hope I'm not getting too deep in them over your head today. But I'm telling you, this is just how, because see, we think logically in the natural. This is supernatural stuff. We have a real enemy you can't see. We're one of those crazy churches that believe demons are real, angels are real, and that there's spiritual warfare going on in a realm that we can't see. You just got real kooky. I'm not trying to get real kooky. I'm not trying to, I promise. I'm not trying to freak you out. But I believe that. The Bible says the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. They say a lion will walk around and stalk its prey for days, waiting for the, even though the lion's the baddest dude in town and confronted any second, he waits till the enemy is at its weakest and it attacks. That's what the devil does. I'm so focused on helping your marriage. I ain't focusing on my marriage. I'm so focused on helping you with your career and operating integrity and operating. All of a sudden, I'm neglecting mine. See what I'm saying? I don't understand why, but I know there's a reason these warnings here. Can you go back to that verse, Galatians 6.1, please, Andrew? Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, those who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves. There's a reason a warning comes along with that. Watch yourselves. Or you may be also tempted. We sometimes forget where we come from. Sometimes we forget that. And in forgetting where we came from, we can end up back there. So we're going to confront to restore. When we confront, we're going to pray, God, help me do it with caution. 
And the last thing, I hate this one. We're going to pray, God, help me see when I'm the hypocrite. Help me see when I'm the hypocrite. Because the bottom line is at one time or another, we're all hypocrites. We're all hypocritical. When Jesus was talking about hypocrites, he would often call the Pharisees, that was the he would call them blind guides. He said, you're leading people in the wrong direction. You're blind. You don't realize you're doing it. The blind leading the blind. I love Bob. Everybody loves Bob in our church, right? Blind Bob? Love Bob. The only blind greeter in America, I'm convinced. I love Bob. Can't see a lick, but he's a greeter. I don't understand it. I trust Bob. Think Bob's amazing. But I ain't letting Bob sit in my driver's seat and drive me to Walmart. Why? He's blind. (laughs) He won't get us there. Problem is, Bob probably thinks he can get us there. Told Bob one time, I can't believe I'm fixing to rat him out like this. Told Bob one time, I said, Bob, it was my wife. I said, man, you got a good-looking woman standing next to you. Too bad you can't see her. Bob said, I got 20-20 vision in my hands. I mean, Bob's a player. But I ain't letting blind Bob drive me anywhere. I'm not letting Bob guide me out to my car. I'll guide Bob out to his car because he don't know which direction to go. That's what these religious leaders were doing. They were being hypocritical. They were Pharisees, yet they're trying to lead other people. No wonder they were going off course. I think there's no better example in this in the Old Testament than the story of King David. King David was supposed to be at war, fighting because that's what kings do. But instead of being at war, he was at home where he wasn't supposed to be. The path to going the wrong direction is always being where you're not supposed to be. One day he's up on the roof. He looks over to the other rooftop, sees a woman over there bathing naked. says, I got to have that woman. He's the king. He gets what he wants. He takes the woman. He gets the woman pregnant. The problem is that woman's husband was one of his soldiers, and he was out fighting. So David, to cover his own sin, brings a soldier home. Says, hey man, you've been such a good dude. Go lay with your wife. The good dude was so low, he wouldn't even go in the house. He stood outside the door and slept all night. Said, I can't do this when my people are out fighting. Ain't that crazy? The soldier knew he was supposed to be fighting, but the king didn't. So David sends him back with a letter stamped. So he can't see the letter. Says, give this to the guard, the head of the army. And it said, put him on the front line. He wanted him on the front line where he could die because David was trying to cover his sin. So then later on, God sends a prophet to him, a brother to him. Don't miss this. Nathan comes to him. I checked this out, and David says, that king, I want to tell you a little story. Sit back. Relax. Once upon a time, there was two men. He said one of the men was massively rich, and he had this great herd of lambs. The other man was dirt poor, and he had one lamb. He said, but he loved that lamb, and he treasured that lamb, and he took care of that lamb. And one day, the rich man had company come over, and he had to feed the company. 
And instead of going out and slaughtering one of his thousands of lambs that he had, he went and took the poor guy's one lamb, and he slaughtered it, and he killed it. And he took what wasn't his, even though he could have had anything else. And David becomes enraged. Where is this man? Look what the Bible says in 2 Samuel. The Bible says, David burned with anger against the man. He said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man who did this deserves to die. It's hard words. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. He's furious. And Nathan the prophet comes and he slams him, boy. He comes back and then Nathan said to David, you are the man. You could have had any woman in this kingdom you wanted, but you took another man's wife and then killed him in the process. He said, you're the hypocrite. David's furious over this man, but he's doing the same thing. David's judging this man and not realizing he's the hypocrite himself. You're the offender. (laughs) And we need to evaluate our lives and make sure we're not the ones being hypocritical. Before you step to somebody else, about the areas in the life they need to improve. We got to pray to God and make sure we're doing self-examination on us. <laughs> Quit going around and picking, the Bible says, the little speck out of someone else's eye when you're walking around with a two-by-four in your eye. You hypocrite. I don't go to church because of all the hypocrites. <laughs> You'd fit right in. You're a hypocrite. We're all hypocritical at times. We've got to examine our lives in that. I think one of the best things we could do as Christians is stop being the Christian police over every little thing that doesn't matter. Stop criticizing, confronting without love. Instead, say, God, is there hypocrisy in me? I promise you, if you begin to pray that about your own life, God will reveal things to you. And as you get your things in line, then you'll be able to confront someone else. There's areas in my life that I'm very good at confronting people about. I can do it with love and patience and temperance. Why? Because I've been there. I know those wounds. I know those scars. There's other areas in my life that I'm not as good. I'm harsh and I'm rough and I probably shouldn't confront. Why? Because I've never been there. I don't have those wounds. It's hard for me to put myself in their shoes because I haven't been there. The hypocrisy in our own life. I'm over here looking at this guy, but I'm doing this. I'm over there preaching about against that guy, but I'm over here doing the same thing. I'm the guilty one. We need to pray that God helps us to confront to restore. God helps us to confront with caution where we protect ourselves. And then the Bible says every man must give an account of himself. It's time. I, I know this is shocking in the system we live in or the world that we live in where no one wants to take personal responsibility. But sometimes you need to own your actions. The reason you're in a mess, probably real good chance, is because of you. You keep doing the same things, expecting a different result. That's the definition of insanity. I don't know why every relationship goes sideways. Well, if every relationship goes sideways, you're the common denominator. 
Don't understand why there's always drama in my life. There's drama in every area of your life. You're the common denominator. Evaluate. You know what I've learned? I don't tend to notice my neighbor's yard as much when I'm working on my own yard. I don't tend to notice everyone else's shortcomings when I'm focused on my own shortcomings. I don't tend to notice other couples. I'm like, I don't know how they could be married, how she could be with him. When I'm focused on being like, I don't know how Christine could be married to me. My circus, my monkeys, keep me pretty busy. But you'd rather be in everyone else's business instead of tending to your own garden. You know why? Because you're a hypocrite and a gossip. But I'll cover that next week. Let's pray.